Greetings, and welcome to Oatly's second quarter 2021 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference over to your host, Katie Turner, with the Investor Relations. Thank you. You may begin. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on Oatly's 2021 inaugural second quarter earnings conference call and webcast. On today's call are Tony Peterson, Chief Executive Officer, Peter Berg, Chief Operating Officer, and Christian Hackey, Chief Financial Officer. Before we begin, please remember that during the course of this call, management may make forward-looking statements within the meeting of the federal securities laws. These statements are based on management's current expectations and beliefs and involve risks and uncertainties that could differ materially from actual events or those described in these forward-looking statements. Please refer to the company's final perspective filed pursuant to the Rule 424B3 on May 21st, 2021, and other reports filed from time to time with the Securities and Exchange Commission for a detailed discussion of the risks that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied in any forward-looking statements made today. Please note on today's call, management will refer to certain non-IFRS financial measures, including EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA, and adjusted EBITDA margin. While the company believes these non-IFRS financial measures will provide useful information for investors, the presentation of this information is not intended to be considered in isolation or as a substitute for the financial information presented in accordance with IFRS. Please refer to today's release for a reconciliation of non-IFRS financial measures to the most comparable measures prepared in accordance with IFRS. In addition, Oatly's posted a supplemental presentation on its website for reference. It's now my pleasure to turn the call over to Tony Peterson. Thanks, Katie. Good morning, everyone. It's great to speak with you today on our first earnings call at the public company. On today's call, I will briefly review our second quarter financial highlights, provide an overview of our business performance during the quarter, including the continued strong momentum for Oatly and the Oat uh, category and reiterate the key reasons uh, we believe Oatly is uniquely positioned for long-term growth and to be the leading dairy alternatives brand globally. Peter will provide um, an update on our global manufacturing capacity footprint, and Christian will review our financial results in more detail before we open the call to take your questions. Now, 2021 represents the most transformational year in our company history. With the completion of our successful IPO in May, which has provided us with the capital to fuel new production capacity globally as we scale our business across three continents to meet the robust consumer demand for our leading brand. We are appreciative uh, of the support from our investors and look forward to this exciting journey together. We continue to invest heavily in our business, establishing infrastructure, personnel, innovation, capabilities, uh, and partnerships to maintain and grow our category leadership position. We are incredibly pleased with the opening of two new facilities in Ogden, Utah, and Singapore. This year marks the first time we will have local production in Asia, and we recently doubled production capacity at our facility in Grissingen, Netherlands. We're also excited to open our second manufacturing facility in Asia later this year in Manshan, China. 
representing a tremendous opportunity for our future growth. And we expect to gain increased operating uh, efficiencies, reduce the environmental impact, and increase profitability as the region begins to reduce production reliance on EMEA. We are incredibly proud uh, of our global team's operational execution and the continued strong growth in both new and existing customers. All of this is quite remarkable to accomplish at any time, and we are doing it on multiple continents during global pandemics. As we discussed during the IPO, uh, we continue to prioritize growth investments over profitability in the next few years to best position Oakley to serve customers and consumers alike, to focus on taste, nutrition, sustainability, transparency, and trust with a strong emotional connection to our brand. We believe these priorities are critical for accelerating conversion from the global dairy market, which we estimate to be worth approximately 600 billion U.S. dollars in the retail channel value alone as of 2020, with a large food service footprint and growing e-commerce opportunity. Our record all-time high second quarter revenues increased 53% to 146 million U.S. dollars from the second quarter last year, reflecting the strength of our diversified business across multiple geographies and sales channels, as well as the momentum we have in the global market. This further provides evidence of the continued consumer integration away from traditional dairy and the conversion to plant-based alternatives, including oatmeal. Our finished good volume was 106 million liters, for the second quarter compared to 74 million liters for the same period last year, an increase of 43%. However, global demand for OT products continues to outpace our supply, with capacity constraining our growth in the second quarter and certain COVID-19 and startup manufacturing headwinds impacted our revenue by approximately 12 to 14 million US dollars. Importantly, these are behind us and we are expanding global production capacity every month to support our long-term growth. Again, I can't tell you how pleased I am with our achievements. The scale at which our team is executing and achieving strong results is impressive. And as we continue to scale, we have significant opportunities to satisfy unmet demand and leverage our brand success to expand across geographies sales channels, and product categories. June was the highest production month in company's history, and we have started off the third quarter strong in July with a consecutive record-setting production month. As Peter will elaborate on, this is a trend we expect to continue, and it gives us confidence in our 2021 outlook for revenue to exceed $690 million, an increase of greater than 64% year over year, representing an acceleration in our rate of growth in the second half of 2021 from the first half of 2021. For those of you new to Oakley, I will take a little more time on this first call to provide an overview of our business model and global growth strategy. We launched the world's first oatmeal product in 1995 and have been the only company focused solely on liquid oat technology for more than 25 years, working to put forward the best possible version of milk. Research 
had made clear that an estimated two-thirds of the global population cannot process cows due to lactose intolerance, according to Lancet. Through our commitments to oats, we have developed a proprietary oat-based production technology that leverages patented enzymatic process to turn oats into nutritional, great-tasting liquid products. Our more than 95 patents filed and pending are supplemented with a protected by three decades of production craftsmanship, a commitment to continuous innovation, and of course, sustainability in our consumer-centric brand. Our mission and core beliefs in driving societal uh, shift towards plant-based food systems unifies our company in our quest for purpose-driven growth. As humanity faces massive challenges of climate change and lifestyle disease, our mission is even more relevant and powerful. What we do is to inspire people to make small changes in their lives that are beneficial to themselves and the planet. Our in-house created team creates ways to have an emotional bond with consumers who are already becoming more health conscious and more environmentally conscious. Our approach has turned out to be incredibly successful, driving a revenue tager of 82% from 2018 through our second quarter and the June 30th, 2021. Plant-based dairy penetration of dairy retail sales globally is only approximately 3%, but growing rapidly. Based on our consumer insights, we found that 35 to 40% of the adult population is now purchasing dairy milk alternatives in our key markets, indicating that the penetration of and familiarity with the category is high creating growth opportunities from increased frequency and usage. Nearly 70% of plant-based milk consumers have joined the category in the last two years in our key markets. This conversion demonstrates the accelerating trajectory of the category and growth potential for from further penetration. The oat category is rapidly gaining market share and surpassing other crop categories in our key geography with Oatly helping to accelerate the overall oat and non-dairy category growth of active markets. We believe a majority of the market is wide open for the taking, and Oatly we're approaching a major tipping point of conversion to plant-based alternatives, and this creates a significant runway of long-term growth. We have proven global significance with commercial success in more than 20 markets across multiple channels and segments including retail, food service, and e-commerce partners. The range of our growth and success is one of our most impressive accomplishments, and we expect it to continue to fuel our growth versus the competition. As of June 30th, 2021, our oat-based products were available across 65,000 retail doors and over 60,000 food service locations, including coffee and tea shops. Year-to-date, we've added more than 30,000 total doors across all of our sales channels globally, with additional upside in all of our key markets. And our products are sold through a variety of channels, from independent coffee shops to continent-wide partnerships with established franchises like Starbucks, from food retailers like Target and Pesco to premium natural grocers and corner stores, as well as through e-commerce channels, such as Alibaba's T-Mall. Expanding new markets, we use a food service-led expansion strategy that builds awareness and loyalty for our brand through the specialty coffee market and drives increased sales organically through retail and e-commerce channels. We take this strategic and deliberate approach 
in all of our markets to build consumer demand organically via trials and food service. And then expanding into other channels uh, has positioned us to be a category leader, not only the oat and plant-based category, but also within the broader dairy category. We have tailored this strategy in many successful international market launches, including the United Kingdom, Germany, the United States, and China. Our brand has continued to excel on the scale, as evidenced by the following market statistics. For the last 52 weeks ended for the latest July 2021 refresh, according to Nielsen and IRI data, Oatly contributed the highest amount of sales growth to the dairy alternative drink category across a key market in the UK and Germany. And we're the number two in the US and Sweden, only as a direct result of our supply constraints. This is in line with what we expect in the near term as we ramp up added capacity in EMEA and our uh, our Ogden, Utah facility increases capacity. In the UK, Germany, and Sweden, we are the highest selling brand in the oat category by retail sales value, which is the largest category within dairy alternatives in all these markets. In the US, we are the second selling brand for the last 52 weeks in the oatmeal category, which is the fastest growing category by far in dairy alternatives. In the US, Oatly has the highest velocity skew and highest dollar per TDP or total distribution points of all brands in the total dairy category, dairy including cow's milk, according to Nielsen XAOC for the last 12 week period and the June 19, 2021, excluding private label. Based on the same XAOC and Nielsen data, we're the only dairy alternatives brand in the top 10 fastest churning milk skews for both traditional dairy and plant-based milk. And we have two SKUs of the top 10 SKUs, including our original and full fat 64 ounce. This illustrates the strength of our brand at retail and the halo effect from our multi-channel distribution strategy. Any recent pressures on our market share velocity in measured channel is expected and directly correlate the capacity constraints and lack of inventory to fulfill demand across sales channels. As we've seen in the past, once supply improves, we can increase velocities and growth as well as backlog of orders to fulfill. Keep in mind, we have accomplished our growth in measured channels while having to prioritize field rates for existing customers with only very limited distribution expansion in, 19, uh, in 2021 with strong demand for increased store growth. Oakley is one of the most profitable brands for retailers in plant-based milk with a winning combo of premium price points and velocity, according to Nielsen and total US XAOC data for the 12-week period ending June 19, 2021. According to SPINs for the last 12 weeks and the July 11, 2021, we were the number one oatmeal brand and the number one velocity plant-based milk brand in terms of dollar sales. This continued growth in leadership position is impressive, considering the natural channels where we first started distribution in the U.S. Oatmeal drives the vast majority of the total dairy alternative category growth and is quickly taking market share, up to approximately 30% market share for the same time period. This leads XAOC Oatmeal market share by over 10 percentage points. Now keep in mind, in the U.S. approximately 
50% of our sales are generated in the food service channel and 50% in the retail channel. In total, only approximately 35% of our sales in the Americas are represented in the metric sales channels. For example, at retail, we also have strong presence in the natural channel, which is not fully captured in the Nielsen data. And we are strategically building distribution in the convenience store channel. In MAA, our most mature market, 10% of our sales are in the food service channel and 90% in the retail channel, of which approximately 80% are recorded in measured uh, sales channels. So while we track the measured sales channels across geographies, it's not fully representative of our regional or total revenue results, specifically in the U.S. In terms of food service, we generated strong growth in the U.S. during the quarter. Last year, we shifted volumes away from food service to retail as a result of COVID-related on-premise structures. This year, we've been able to strategically increase sales back into food service to drive consumer trial and brand awareness, which helps us create an acceleration and conversion across all sales channels, not just food service. We're very pleased with our successful launch and growth in Starbucks as their exclusive oat milk brand partner. Growth of oat and oat milk has exceeded both of our expectations to date. For example, uh, we aligned on an estimated volume per month and have cons consistently been shipping double the original projection. This is a result of the incredible consumer demand and accelerating rate of conversion from dairy and other plant-based alternatives to oat milk, generating exponential growth. This is exciting for us because as our capacity increases in the second half of this year, we will be back to fulfilling 100% of the oat milk needs this fall. We are currently providing two-thirds of oat milk volume, and this continues to grow. Starbucks is a strong collaborative partner, and we look forward to growing with them across existing and new geographies. Together, we're able to reach many more people with open beverages, and in doing so, we can continue to do great things for the planet. Focusing on Asia, our growth in this region demonstrates the effectiveness of our proven multi-channel expansion strategy. We have built a new generation of plant-based milk consumers in Asia by converting traditional dairy milk drinkers to Oakley and by attracting new drinkers to the category altogether. We successfully entered the Chinese market in 2018 through the coffee and tea channel, which we have since scaled nationally to over 13,000 doors at the end of the second quarter of 2021. The awareness and trial achieved in the specialty uh, coffee and tea channel was critical to educate the market about plant-based dairy and establish our leadership in Asia. As a result of the consumer excitement that we built around the Oakley brand, we were able to rapidly scale our regional presence through a strategic e-commerce partnership with Alibaba's T-Mall and an exclusive branded partnership with Starbucks in China. Even a very competitive marketplace with limited supply, we continue to maintain our market leading position on T-Mall and we have increased revenue in Asia 333% from 2018 through the last four months and June 30th, 2021. Our team in Asia has 
successfully added many new food service and retail wins the second quarter, including brand partnerships where our oat milk drinks and uh, other oat-based food products are sold together, including Oatberg in a key coffee chain customer. as just one example. This is an exciting development that demonstrates the strength of our product portfolio across multiple categories and the increase in consumer appetite for Oatly, proving our brand's ability to travel with consumers chooses to shop. A few additional highlights in Asia during the second quarter include uh, we expand our partnership with McDonald's in mainland China, and we launch partnership with K-Coffee in KFC in mainland China. The retail sales channel has only been a low single-digit contributor to our growth, and our team has recently achieved important customer wins with a tremendous upside for future distribution growth in new and existing customers as we scale our local production capabilities later this year and more meaningfully in 2022. Customers are Walmart, RT Mart. On the convenience store side, we launched and expanded distribution nationally in 7-Eleven with both retail and the cafe counters. And also we added Metro Cash and Carry. And in the first quarter, we added Sam's Club. This is a strong breakthrough in retail distribution for us in Asia. And we're already seeing growth in velocities, demonstrating the continued success of our multi-challenge strategy and ability to drive growth organically. Conversion across sales channels from food service to retail and e-commerce occurs at the highest rate in Asia, and our team is doing an excellent job to ensure our products are available for Asian consumer shops and consume plant-based products. Looking ahead, we expect to drive continued industry-leading growth and strong financial performance to further extending and executing on our existing strategies. We have a tremendous opportunity to accelerate Oakley's brand awareness and consumer trial. For example, in the U.S., our household penetration is less than 3%, according to Nielsen panel data. This represents a significant runway for growth in not only the U.S. as we add production, but globally as we expand in both existing and new geographies. In each of our markets, we can fuel our growth through distribution, velocity, and market share gains, especially as we improve field rate, which today on average are at only approximately 70% on a global basis. Just improving our field rates alone will generate substantial incremental revenue for our business. We are accomplishing this through investing in global production capacity to, to capture the immense consumer demand we have today and well into the future. And we have a proven, disciplined, and thoughtful multi-channel strategy that we believe sets us apart from the competition since we're already building our brand successfully across three continents with a tremendous amount of white space to add new markets. In the second quarter, we added new countries with distribution in Switzerland and Ireland. Today, only Sweden and Finland carry out its full product range. We will look to continue to strategically uh, roll out our existing product portfolio across global regions and pioneer new product categories with innovation. I already mentioned the early success we had in China, and the U.S. is another great example with a recent strong contribution from frozen and oak course to our sales. Food products now account for 10% of our total U.S. sales today. 
And finally, in terms of our core ingredients growth, we have contracts and supply in place to grow revenue at the rate we expect for 2021 and beyond. In summary, we believe Oakley is incredibly well positioned for long-term global growth. We believe the fundamentals of our business are stronger than ever, and consumer demand continues to accelerate. And we are increasing production capacity globally to meet that growing demand. Before I turn the call over to Peter, I would like to address the report published last month by a third party and an associated publicity campaign attempting to plant doubt about our company. While we believe the report to be false and misleading, when someone makes an allegation, it is our responsibility to take it seriously. And we did. A special committee of our independent board of directors reviewed the report with the help of independent legal counsel and forensic accountants. The special committee has completed the review, and I'm pleased to say that we continue to fully stand by the accuracy and efficacy of our reporting. I will now turn the call over to Peter. Thanks, Tony. I will start by elaborating on how we are increasing production capacity globally. Production capacity has been a major constraint on our growth, and we have made substantial investments to scale our production capacity and address supply shortages due to the massive demand for our products globally. We believe a significant acceleration is underway for dairy alternatives. Oatly is well positioned to continue to generate strong growth based on these compelling industry tailwinds and our unique brand positioning in more than 20 countries globally. As Tony mentioned, approximately 60 to 70% of plant-based milk consumers joined the category in the last two years. Today, we utilize a total of five self-manufacturing and hybrid facilities globally. These include two self-manufacturing and three hybrid facilities, as well as co-packing facilities. We have four factories planned or under construction. In 2019, we opened one production facility in the United States and one in the Netherlands. In March 2021, we opened our second U.S. facility in Ogden, Utah. This is our first self-manufacturing facility in the region. As you think about capacity ramp, it takes between 8 to 12 months to reach full production. In the first quarter of this year, we also completed our planned capacity build-out in the Netherlands giving us a, the ability to produce an estimated 300 million liters and increase from 150 million liters of finished goods capacity previously. In Singapore, we now have a hybrid facility representing our first local production available in Asia. This is an important corporate milestone. The facility is estimated to produce 75 million liters of annual finished goods capacity at full production. To date, since 2018, we have been shipping our products from Europe to support the growth in Asia. We are excited about the operating efficiencies we expect to gain from our new Singapore facility, along with our own self-manufacturing facility 
which is on track to open later this year in Machan, China. We expect our EMEA manufacturing combined with our two facilities in U.S. and two in Asia to help us achieve approximately 1 billion liters of finished goods capacity by the end of the calendar year 2022. This represents a 200% increase in our production output from the end of 2020. In addition, we continue to expand capacity of our existing facilities, and we are currently in a planning stage to open additional facilities in U.S. and U.K. in 2023. These two facilities are estimated to add an incremental 400 million liters of finished goods from 2023 to support the demand for our products globally. June and July this year represent our highest consecutive production month in the company's history. We expect a similar trend as we progress through the third and the fourth quarter of this year, which support our strong revenue outlook for 2021. As we grow, we believe owning and controlling our global operating footprint is paramount to addressing the significant consumer demand for Oatly products. We expect our planned CAPEX investment in self-manufacturing will expand our margin profile. Self-manufacturing enables us to apply our own standards of quality and sustainability and flexibility for innovation and to protect our IP while achieving significantly more attractive production economics as demonstrated by our fully owned manufacturing capabilities in Sweden. Using an end-to-end self-manufacturing model, we produce the oat base, mix and fill the product as a single Oatly-owned operated facility. We supplement our own manufacturing facility with a diversified network of deeply vetted third-party co-manufacturing partners to help us drive growth by providing the necessary speed and flexibility to help us meet consumer demand, commence pilot projects, and support new product launches. When we utilize a co-packing model, we transport our oat space through tanker trucks to our strategically chosen third-party filler for mixing and filling. When we utilize a hybrid model of manufacturing, we transport our oat base through pipelines to a physical adjacent plant operated by a third-party partners for filling and mixing. Our long-term goal is to have 50 to 60% of our total volume to come from self-manufacturing, reducing co-packing to 10 to 20% with 30 to 40 from hybrid manufacturing. For the first six months of 2021, self-manufacturing was 20% of our total volumes, compared to co-packing at 53% and hybrid at 27%. We expect to drive profit growth through increasing our self and hybrid manufacturing model, as well as localizing our production footprint which will improve our economics of scale and our service level. 
Given our strong outlook for revenue growth, we expect to achieve greater operating leverage from our capital investment to help fuel our significant margin improvement across our global operations. Going forward, we intend to continue to invest in our innovation capabilities, build our manufacturing footprint, and expand our consumer base, all supporting our growth trajectory. I'll now turn the call over to Christian to review our financials. Thanks, Peter, and good morning, everyone. It's great to be joining you today on our first earnings call at the public company. Turning to the, the financials, revenue for the second quarter of 2021 was $146.2 million, an increase of $50.8 million, or 53.3%, compared to revenue of $95.3 million in the second quarter of 2020. In the second quarter of 2021, we experienced broad-based growth across retail and food service channels. The revenue increase was primarily driven by additional supply coming from the companies existing and to a smaller extent our new facilities to meet the growing global demand for our products partially offset by approximately 12 to $14 million of COVID-19 and startup-related manufacturing headwinds to sales that we experienced in the quarter at our listing in Netherlands and Ogden, Utah facilities. The estimated foreign exchange benefit to revenue was approximately $10.2 million in the quarter. The food service channel continued to increase in the second quarter of 2021 compared to the prior year period with the continued reopening of on-premise outlets from the relaxation of COVID-19 restrictions in our key markets. In the second quarter last year, the retail channel experienced a significant increase in sales, more than offsetting the decline in the food service sales channel primarily noticeable in the Americas, all as a result of COVID-19 restrictions. For the second quarter of 2021, the food service channel accounted for 33.2% of revenue compared to 21.6% in the same period last year. The retail channel accounted for 61.5% of second quarter 2021 revenue compared to 74.5% in the second quarter of 2020. Net sales per liter were $1.54 compared to $1.42 in the second quarter of 2020, primarily driven by regional channel and customer mix in the Americas, while in EMEA and Asia, the net sales per liter increase primarily is foreign exchange driven. With our highest regional net sales per liter in Asia, followed by the Americas and then EMEA. Our sales globally are achieved with much lower promotional rate than competition. For example, in the U.S., approximately 10% of sales are driven on promotion, and this rate is similar across our key geographies. Gross profit in the second quarter was $38.6 million compared to $30.8 million in the prior year period. Gross margin decreased 590 basis points to 26.4% compared to 32.3% in the prior year period. The gross margin decline in the second quarter of 2021 
compared to the prior year period was primarily due to higher logistics expenses in EMEA and the Americas, as well as higher container rates for our shipments from EMEA to Asia, a change in segment, channel, and customer mix, a higher share of co-packing production, and minor negative effect from forward exchange. We have noticed an increase in freight costs driven by the effects of the pandemic and the shortage in capacity, primarily primarily in the Americas and EMEA. We have also experienced price increases related to our shipments from EMEA to Asia. We expect that the localization and expansion of our production capacity within the regions will help to offset some of these freight cost headwinds. To date, we have experienced limited material cost inflation compared to the prior year period as we benefited from volume growth, except for rapeseed oil, which accounts for approximately three to four percentage points of our total cost of goods sold. We expect rapeseed oil prices to continue to increase during uh, the second half of 2021, offset by other anticipated cost efficiencies. Keep in mind, we continue to expect variability in our gross margin quarter to quarter based primarily on the mix of revenue by geography and sales channel, as well as the mix of our manufacturing output. On an annualized basis, we expect to continue to see improvements in our gross margin year over year starting in 2022 with a long-term goal of 40%. Research and development expenses in the second quarter of 2021 increased $2.6 million to $4 million compared to $1.3 million in the prior year period. This increase was primarily due to an increase of $1.8 million in employee-related expenses due to the higher headcount, which include $0.3 million in costs for the 2021 long-term incentive plan and $0.4 million in consultants and other professional fees. Selling general and administrative expenses in the second quarter of 2021 increased $49.8 million to $83.1 million compared to $33.3 million in the prior year period. And other operating income and expense were $0.4 million gain compared to a $0.5 million loss in the prior year period. The increase in SG&A expenses was primarily due to an increase of $22.3 million in employee-related expenses, of which $4 million were non-cash costs for the company's long-term incentive plan, all as a result of increased headcount as we continue to invest in our growth and also added headcount for being a public company. We also incurred $12.5 million in increased costs related, relating to external consultants, contractors, and other professional fees due to the growth of the business and costs associated with being a public company, of which $7.1 million were non-recurring costs related to the company's initial public offering, $5.3 million of increased branding and marketing expenses as compared to lower branding and marketing activities in the prior year, second quarter of 2020, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. 
In total, SGNA included non-recurring costs related to our initial public offering and a non-cash LTIP charge of $11.1 million. Customer distribution costs increased with $4.7 million, mainly as a result of higher revenue. Other operating income for second quarter of 2021 included a net foreign exchange gain of $0.3 million compared to other operating expense in the second quarter of 2020 that included a net foreign exchange loss of $0.5 million. Now focusing in Focusing on the balance sheet and cash flow, as of June 30th, 2021, we had cash and cash equivalents of $524.2 million, $322.7 million in short-term investments, and total outstanding debt to credit institutions of $7 million. Net cash used in operating activities was $72.5 million for the six months ended June 30th, 2021 compared to $20.1 million during the prior year period. Capital expenditures were $134.4 million for the six months ended June 30th, 2021 compared to $52 million in the prior year period. Cash flow from financing activities were $960.9 million reflecting the proceeds from the IPO net of repayment of liabilities to credit institutions and repayment of the shareholder loan. The company invested a portion of the IPO proceeds in secure short-term investment. Finally, turning to the guidance, for fiscal year 2021, we expect revenue to exceed $690 million, an increase of greater than 64% compared to fiscal year 2020, with accelerating growth across regions, balanced contribution from each of them. This revenue outlook assumes very nominal contribution from our Manchan China facility that is on track to open later this year. Any upside to our outlook will be a result of our ability to ramp production at a faster rate than we anticipate. Assuming no significant changes from where we are today, we expect the second half of 2021 exchange rates to be a single-digit tailwind compared to the second half of 2020. We expect the capital expenditures to be on the low end of the $350 million to $400 million range we provided at the time of the IPO. We expect production capacity to be approximately 600 million liters of finished goods by the end of fiscal 2021, a sufficient amount of capacity to reach our annual revenue outlook. Long-term, we expect to generate gross margin greater than 40% and an adjusted EBITDA margin approaching 20% as we benefit from a much larger self-manufacturing footprint globally, greater economies of scale, and continued strong revenue growth. With that, I'd like to turn the call back over to Tony. Thanks, Christian. The last six months have been remarkable for Oakley. I'd like to thank our entire global team for efforts in helping us achieve our results. Every day, they work to help create an old nuke phenomenon across Europe, the United States, and China with a brand that is the primary growth driver of dairy alternatives. It's the effort and dedication of our employees that continues to advance the reach and impact of Oakley's mission on, on a global scale. 
In summary, we're very pleased with our accomplishment year to date and excited about the balance of the year as we focus on executing our global growth objectives. With that overview, Peter, Christian, and I are now available for your questions. Operator. Thank you. At this time, we will conduct a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in a question queue. We ask that you limit your questions to one question and then a follow-up so others may have opportunity to ask questions. At any time, if you wish to remove your question, please press star 2. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. One moment while we poll for our first question. Our first question comes from Andrew Lazar with Barclays. Please proceed. Great. Thanks for the question. Um, you know, I'll start with, you know, during the IPO process, uh, Oatly discussed its on-shelf productivity metrics versus other oat milk brands at, at key retail customers, metrics such as shelf velocity and price premium and promotional depth and frequency. And they were all, as you mentioned this morning, far better than peers. I guess, how has this shelf productivity held up as more oat milk brands continue to gain distribution on the shelf? Um, some of which have, have greater capacity than, than do you, at least at this stage. Um, and is your anticipation that we'd continue to see this type of on-shelf advantage play out moving forward? Hi, Andrew. This is Tony. Thank you so much morning. for your question. Good morning. Good to, good to hear your voice again. Uh, yes, I mean, uh, as expected, uh, we knew that we were going to be pressured uh, in the measured retail channel. Uh, YouTube capacity, and and um, we believe these market share losses are temporary, right? We are building the capacity as we go, and if you look at the spin data, for instance, we are the solid number one. Uh, you look at the the partners we started the the you know uh, the partnership long ago with, like Whole Foods Market, Target, and 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 Wegmans. You know, we are the clear market leader leader in the non-dairy category. Uh, where we have a little bit of higher fill rate, not fully, right? Uh, average still uh, 70% globally. It's even lower in the US, has been lower in the US uh, at 50 60%, but continuously increasing. Now, having all of them on board here, uh, producing commercial pro uh, products brings a lot of confidence in, in, in the, the, the progress going forward. So we accepted to, to increase the fill rate over the course of the, the last uh, two quarters of the year and increase. Uh, as time goes. Great, and then that's a good segue into to market share. Obviously, there's been plenty of discussion about about share losses in the U.S., which would seem to be, you know, primarily, if not completely, about capacity constraints. Um, maybe you can get into a little bit more detail around market share trends more recently with with those key customers with whom you've sort of prioritized supply, and how that's impacted your expectations for the business. You know, once the company can supply, you know, um, key customers more fully. Thank you. Yes. So if you look at, at the, some of the long-term partnership that I mentioned earlier, we have a 50%, 70% market share in oats, which is significantly higher, right, uh, for the rest of the, the measured retail channel. So you, that's what we expect. We see the performance data. And, and you know what we said earlier in the call, that we are the best-performing brand, in dollars for TDP in the total dairy 
total dairy, including milk. So, I mean, it's unprecedented. That brings us a lot of confidence going forward as we can bring more capacity on board. And same thing in, the, in, in Europe as well. Best-selling SKUs in the Q markets, uh, best uh, velocity. So a great platform and, and great progress in terms of production. Thank you. Our next question comes from Dara Mohusnian with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed. Hey, guys. Good morning or good afternoon. Hey, Dara. Uh, can, can you give us just a, a bit more detail around the plans to expand Ogden? Um, you know, when exactly do you commence production there? Should we think about that as upside to your prior revenue goals? Was that embedded and you just didn't announce the project? How, how should we think about that? And then I guess second, to take it out broader, you know, given you have a lot of new facilities coming online, for example, Singapore and, and Bashan, maybe you can just talk about holistically your ability to expand capacity, you know, quickly beyond what you've announced, meaning adding incremental capacity on top of the original plant coming online and how quickly that can be done in some of these newer facilities that are up and running, similar to what we're seeing in Ogden. Thanks. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, great question. Um, and when you speak about Ogden, you are referring to the new expansion that we announced recently? Yes, I meant the new expansion on the, the plans for the new expansion. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I will let Peter speak about it, but yes, that's in incremental volumes to the plant. And uh, basically, we, we're doing what we said we were uh, going to do, you know, uh, during the, the, the IPO, right? And we said that we want to we have expandable plans, and because of that, uh, we, can, we can probably uh, uh, expand faster. And, but, 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 Peter, maybe you can speak more about it? Yeah, uh, thanks for the question. And we can start with the, the, the state of, of, of Ogden. The, the starting point was 150 million liter on an annual basis. And 150 million liter doesn't mean 100% efficient line. But 150 million liter gives us a monthly output of 12 to 15 million liter. In July, we produced 5 million liters filled internally or at co-packers. So the 5 million liter we produced in July gives us approximately 30 to 40% of total expected output at total capacity on a monthly basis. That's where we stand today. So we expect to increase the output quarter by quarter so we can get closer to the 12, 15 million by the end of the year. And now we announced a new investment, and that gives us additional capacity, 75 million liter on an annual basis of oat-based capacity. So already next year, we expect to, to, to get 15 million liter more from that facility. And in 2023, 75 million liter more. So that in investment is on top what we already communicated. And that's the plan. All the new sites we are building today, we do them expandable from day one. So we can move fast with add new capacity. Okay, great. So just to follow up, I guess it sounds like that time frame for Ogden is is something that could be similar for other new facilities in terms of if you decided to expand them beyond what you've announced. And then second, um, 
you know, should we infer from this with the incremental capacity that there's incremental revenue to what you guys have communicated previously, or is it more this was sort of in the plans, but you just weren't ready to announce this discrete project? Thanks. No, the, the, the incremental 15 million in 2022 and then 75 beyond 2022, that, that is expected to be on top of what we already communicated. And to the question, we are continuously looking for new opportunities to expand our footprint so we can grow beyond the plan because there are massive opportunities out there. So that's our job right now is how can we expand faster, quicker, more efficient. Great. That's helpful. And, and if I could just flip one more in on food service in, in the U.S., um, any sense, guys, for how much of the incremental revenue that's coming from the Starbucks relationship or food service growth in general, how much of that is from new customers versus existing customers? Um, I know the, the numbers are a little more difficult to track in food service, but just any sense there would be helpful. Thanks. So I don't know, Christian, if you have more detailed numbers around that, but, but a main portion of that comes from new customers. Uh, especially entering the, you know, entering the partnership with Starbucks. Uh, but, but we know that we're going to continue. I, I mean, if you look at the, the coffee shop uh, channel in general, uh, we know that um, from our existing pipeline that demand is, uh, is multiples of what we can deliver, right? And it goes well beyond what we register as orders. So, so this is a tremendous upside for us in the coffee shop channel. Um, that will be captured simply by delivering volumes. Um, and we have devoted years to building those uh, solid relationships. But on top of that, we actually added, um, Dara, uh, additional 10,000 food service doors through, through wholesalers through the you know, for first half of the year. So, so a lot of this comes from new uh, customers. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, maybe to add to only on, on Starbucks feeds that uh, uh, accounted for, you know, a, a large share of our sales in the second quarter. So Starbucks is definitely performing much better than our expectations and accounted for approximately 27 of our sales in, in the second quarter. So just wanted to add that piece as well. It's great performance. Thanks, our next question comes from Ken Goldman with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed. Hi, thank you. Um, just to follow up on the Starbucks, there was a bit of noise last week um, when another producer mentioned it would also supply Starbucks in the U.S. with some oat milk. Is it fair to assume that you're still the exclusive branded provider there and that the other producer is just filling in some spots that maybe you can't reach right now with your supply? Or maybe you could just clarify that a little bit for us if, if possible. Absolutely. Yes, we confirmed that we are the exclusive oatmeal brand at Starbucks. Uh, and, you know, we have consistently been shipping, you know, double the, the original projection as a result of the, you know, the magnitude of the success uh, of the launch here and, and the consumer demand. Uh, and uh, this accelerating rate of conversion from dairy to, to, to oat and uh, oat milk. Uh, we think this is really exciting for us uh, because, as our capacity increases in the second half of this year, we'll be back to fulfilling 100% of their, their oat milk needs this fall. And we are currently providing about two-thirds of their oat milk volume, and this continues to grow. Now, uh, Starbucks is leveraging private labels to deliver um, 
on our oat milk demand that far exceeded again, again, far exceeded everyone's expectations. And we are behind this 100% and it's aligned with the purpose of the Starbucks partnership that we have to drive the conversion from dairy to plant-based uh, at a mainstream uh, scale. So to, to your point there, uh, yes, on both those questions there, Ken. It's temporary. Great. And we're the exclusive uh, oat milk brand. Great. That's good to hear. And then quick follow-up. Uh, Anything we should think about in terms of modeling the back half of the year, whether it's the cadence of sales or any particular um, expenses that we should think about? Just in, you know, I, I know you don't want to give too much guidance, but just in the name of no surprises necessarily in the third quarter. No, sure. And I think, Peter, maybe that is something you can elaborate around or? Yeah, or, I can or, elaborate on the top line. Uh, I can elaborate on the top line. Um, and then, Chris, then you can add uh, sure. if you want. So, so again, the demand is strong, and it continues to accelerate in every region. So if you look at the page of 21 in our presentation, we are on a strong trajectory for production output, with June and July being our largest production month. In quarter two, we sold on average 32 million liters per month. In quarter three, we expect to sell on average 40 million liters per month. In quarter four, we expect to sell on average 50 million liters per month. On page 21 of the presentation, you can see in July we produced approximately 46 million liters. Ogden, Vlissingen, and Singapore are still in a ramp-up phase, and it takes two to three quarters for a new facility to fully ramp. Also, remember there is a time lag from when we produce the product to when it's sold of about two to three weeks, except for Asia, we, where we have lo longer lead time due to shipment from Europe to Asia. So we think we have a very straightforward trajectory for our production output going forward, and we have built-in conservatives. And our outlook for 2021 includes minimal contribution from our second facility in Asia, which is on track to open in the second half of this year, the, the, the Mashan plant in China. Incremental upside to our stated revenue will be a result of our ability to add production capacity at a faster rate than we expected. So that's the, the top-line uh, guidance. Uh, and, uh, Christian, do you want to add something about uh, sure. stuff? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And, and perhaps on the gross margin variability as well in terms of how we expect that to, to perform in the second half. So in line with what we communicated pre-IPO, Q2, uh, uh, Q3 would be better than Q2, and Q4 slightly better than Q3. And on an overall basis, in terms of 2021, the gross margin will not significantly improve, like we sort of indicated, you know, 21 is a transition year, and we should expect to see an annual improvement in, in, in 2022 versus 2021, as, as previously communicated. In terms of EBITDA, we expect that to be an EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA loss of, of 108 million for the year. Um, this is, uh, again, a transition year. We are investing in our organization, uh, in terms of people, in terms of IT operations, as, as we're scaling up the company uh, for, for future growth. Very helpful. Thank you. Our next question comes from Kwame Gajawala with Credit Suisse. Please proceed. 
thank you, hey everybody. Uh, congratulations on your first earnings call. Um, a couple things I'd like to try to square. The increase in uh, production or the incremental increase in production and production plans and such. Um, and obviously we're all hearing about quite substantial inflation across a whole number of things. Um, bit curious on how the CapEx guidance is now expected to be towards the lower end given those two, uh, given those, given those two items, um, or is it just as simple as timing where you might be at the lower end for this year and we would expect that to just kind of roll into next year? And on the CapEx so, piece, you want me to take that quickly, Tony, before you add? No, I don't, Christian, you go, you go. Yeah, on the, on the CapEx piece, that's, it's more timing as you were alluding to. So it's, okay. um, yeah, that's a short answer. Okay, perfect. And one of the comments in your prepared remarks, I just want to make sure I understand it properly, is um, unlike I think, you know, most other folks in this industry and other industry, we're seeing a lot of raw material inflation. Um, you mentioned that with the exception of one item, you're not seeing as much, but I think you linked to that to volume. Um, so did you mean that you're not seeing as much gross margin pressure because of perhaps volume leverage and that the raw material prices are indeed higher for your business? Or um, is there something about the way that you've procured or something about what um, you're seeing in the market that you're just not feeling that same degree of inflation? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, first of all, we are continuing to prioritize growth over profitability in the near term. Just so this is sort of a transformational year for us uh, with the build out of the two self-manufacturing facilities and our, our one hybrid facility in, in Blissingen. Uh, and this is sort of the highest capacity build out that we had in a single year ever. But in terms of, you know, coming back to your question on inflation, and, and, and our expectations for the second half. You know, we, we expect to see uh, some minor increases to our costs uh, in terms of material costs in, in, in the one to two percentage range and about a half a percentage point related to freight, but that's built into our projections, you know, for the second half of the year. So we have noticed an increase in freight costs driven by the effects of the pandemic as we sort of noted in our remarks. Uh, driven by shortage in capacity, primarily in the Americas and EMEA. We also talked about the, the shipments from, from EMEA to, to Asia as well, in terms of containers and, and, and the difficulties we've seen there. And in, in, in related to material cost inflation, uh, yeah, we noted rapeseed oil. That is the one that we are seeing uh, as sort of an insignificant uh, price increase, double digit, and we expect that in the second half of the year as well. But again, it accounts for three to four percent of our of our cost of goods sold, and we have other anticipated cost efficiencies that we're working on to offset some of that headwind. But it shouldn't be significant, and it's part of our model as well for for the second half. In terms of votes, you know that's that's uh, that's an area. I mean, I think we have the supply secure in for 21 and 22. Uh, uh, we will see how the harvest is is doing in uh, in Canada. As I think we all know, it's been quite a, a drought situation there. Uh, again, oats represents eight to nine percent of our cocks, just to keep that in mind. Um, so it's, it's not a super big component, but we have secured a supply for the next few years. Okay, great. That's useful. Thank you. Our next question comes from Michael Lavery with Piper Sandler. Please proceed. 
Good morning. Thank you. Just looking at your uh, in the in Asia, the distribution gains you've called out, uh, it seems pretty significant, and, and you've got some some big players and and national exposure for for China. I guess how do we think about the how quickly this ramps and the trajectory? Does this kind of depend on Mashan coming online later in the year, or, or are you ready to serve that? It, is it as significant as it seems, and, and could it pick up pretty quickly, or, or is this really more going to impact 2022? Yeah, no. <laughs> Hi there. Uh, good to speak to you again. Listen, uh, yes, I mean, China is China. The, the, uh, the nature of that market is so different from, from Europe and U.S. that it, 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 it's going so much faster there. You have bigger players jumping aboard uh, way sooner. You're going to see some effects. Uh, the most of the effects going to be seen next year. But we are really, really pleased with the partnership that we have. We're going to you go, maybe want to see some effects during the, the, the course of uh, this year, but 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 main portion is going to come next year. Uh, yes, we're going to supply. We're going to continue to supply a portion of the supply from from Europe and EMEA as we've been, you know, uh, ramping up Singapore and bringing Mashan live here. Uh, and, and as Peter and Christian said. Uh, Mashan, we haven't, we haven't really counted on any bigger volumes coming uh, from that facility this year. But, but you're right. It, it, it's a great significance to the doors that we have uh, uh, added here. I mean, we have, you know, probably if you look at the QSRs in China, we kind of locked them down, uh, I think. And also if you look at the retail, uh, entering the retail here now, Without, and I want to add, like with great velocity performance without any promotion. So you can see that the strategy, the multi-channel strategy works in, in driving that organic demand. Also in China, I didn't mention Yonghui, but Yonghui is one of the, the, the biggest retailers uh, and uh, where we have 80% distribution in their stores. Uh, Walmart is, is also one of the 10 biggest uh, retailers in China, all with good performance. So yeah, it, it's really hard to predict, predict the magnitude in China at all because it's so big, it's moving so fast. But uh, like you said, like we are, what we have to do is to try to look at additional capacity during the course of 2022, 2023 here. That's really helpful. And just a quick follow-up on the top line. You called out the, the 12 to 14 million uh, that, that, that sales opportunity you missed from from some COVID restrictions and, and, and the delay ramping up. Just eyeballing slide 21 and, and looking at the capacity dip in May, it, it, would it be right to think that that split is maybe about half and half of those? And I guess what risk do you see of, of either one of those ahead? Is there more COVID restrictions that might impact production in the looking ahead as far as you can tell now, or do you feel like you're in the clear there? Well, how should we think about just you know what might be on the horizon? I mean, it's a great question, uh, and Peter, maybe you can you can speak more about the split. I just want to add that yeah, COVID COVID nineteen is very much here here to stay, right? Uh, I think we have managed, I mean, excellently uh, during the year and a half that it's been going on, uh, but but it, it is un- unpredictable, right? Um, the, the, the event in Lissingen was one of uh, all the events uh, in terms of production has been in COVID-19, but uh, I, I think Lissingen was, was a big hit for us uh, during the Q2 here. But, but uh, Peter, do you want to speak more about the split here? 
I just want to say the COVID is here. I think we have uh, managed excellently through through the course of the last one year year and a half. We're going to continue to have these strict protocols around our, our production facilities. We have strong local regional teams. We could not have grown without the regional teams that we have because we cannot travel. And I'm, I'm extremely pleased to see the performance that we have and how we are managing this uh, throughout these uh, tough times here. And, and again, it, it's here to stay, right? But it's hard to say yeah, how, how much uh, it's going to and, and to your point, Michael, you're correct. It's a split of 50. The drop in, in, in May was because of that COVID situation in Blessingham and then also um, some headwinds when we were ramping up some production facilities. But, and, and it's a 50-50 split. So that's the reason why it dropped in May. Uh, that's the answer to that question. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Our next Thank question you. comes from Laurent Grandit with Guggenheim. Please proceed. Hey, good morning, or rather good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'd like to better understand how you are making trade-offs, or, uh, and I've got some mini three sub-questions here. The first one is, so you, you managed to get 75 million uh, liters additional capacity. That's great. So why why the U.S. and not China? So I'd like to understand basically why you pick one and, and not the other. Um, a second one would be uh, more in the U.S. Uh, when you have some constraint in terms of uh, capacity, why Starbucks versus some retail way where I mean, some could say that you are losing shelf space, potentially or you are at risk of losing some shelf space. And then the, the last one is, you decided to enter to two new countries, Ireland and Switzerland. I understand those are not major countries, but why enter into new countries where you can't fulfill yet uh, the, the the demand of of consumer in existing countries? So, I'd like to understand more the, the thinking process on those three I mean, different sub questions. Thanks. No, uh, absolutely. Uh, well, still, U.S. is the bigger market versus China, right? And, and uh, we entered China later than we did the U.S., and we see a tremendous demand uh, for our products in the U.S. Uh, we see fantastic performance in terms of velocity. We have these strong uh, established partnerships. So I would say that the, the platform uh, is rock solid uh, for us to grow from. Uh, so it's not that we are deprioritizing China. Like it's, 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 I mean, U.S. and China are the most substantial markets in the world. Uh, but we are adding a Manchang China now, and we are going to try to ramp up as quickly as possible and, and to optimize the outputs as much as we can. But we know too little to say that we're going to expand faster in China. Uh, than, than we're planning. We want to see a little bit more before we do that. And remember one thing, we're going to have the third plant, that was the second plant, third plant in Asia, second plant mainland China, up and running in 2023, right? So when it comes to Starbucks, I, I think that, hey, <laughs> uh, we didn't expect this success, right? I, I don't think anybody uh, expected this magnitude of success at Starbucks, right? But it's really important for us, this multi-channel strategy that we have sets us apart from competition. So, again, 35% of our business in the U.S. comes from measured channels. So 65% is something else. 
And that is really, really important for us to maintain to drive that organic growth. Now, Starbucks, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fantastic partner uh, committed to ESG, and we're reaching a lot of people, and we want to drive conversion, right? Again, when we, spoke, when we talked during the IPO, it was driving conversion, and we see the evidence here in the performance data, right? So that is what we want to achieve uh, with a partnership like Starbucks, for instance. When it comes to new countries, so remember, Ireland is part of UK, uh, Switzerland is part of DAC, uh, which is Germany, Austria, and, and Switzerland. So uh, the window for adding retail doors is small, and these launches were planned well ahead. So uh, as we, add, uh, we have added new distribution or entered into new partnership, the growth and demand accelerates beyond our expectation, and that, that's what happened here. And we have a very deliberate and strategic and disciplined approach of adding distribution across sales channels. Uh, and, and the challenge has always been to strike the right balance between opportunity and the volume, right? But again, it's, the, it, it's when it goes better than you expect. Like if you're on the aggressive side of normal, when you're beyond the aggressive side of normal in terms of demand, it's something else and it's really hard to predict, right? But those were planned well ahead. Thanks. And if I may squeeze something on the U.S. extra capacity, would that be primarily for milk uh, barista or uh, extension into uh, more ice cream and, uh, and yogurt? Peter, do you want to? Yeah, the, the investment is, is oat-based capacity. So we have the flexibility to, to choose. But, but, but of course, uh, most of it will go to oat milk. But we can use that oat base for, for, for ice cream and, and girts as well. So, so that's the flexibility we will have with that additional 75 million liter of oat base capacity. Thank you, Apasitan. Thank you very much. Thanks, Laurent. Thank next, you. Our next question comes from Brian Spillpain with Bank of America. Please proceed. Hi. Uh, thank you, operator. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, you know, j- just two two quick follow-up questions. Um, one, just on one of Laurent's questions about, the, I guess, food service versus retail and, and measure channels in the U.S. Would we expect to see, or, or how should we expect to see, um, I guess, in-stock levels and, you know, more production uh, begin to show up more in measure channels? I think one of the one of the questions we get quite a bit from, from investors, it's just a concern that consumers are draw, are being driven to, to oat milk at, at retail, and if they're finding so, some other brand, right, they may choose that brand, and it's hard to to convert them over. So just trying to understand, with with capacity, additional capacity coming on, uh, would we expect to see market share show, that show up in some of the measured channel data as we move through the balance of the year? Hey, Brian, good to speak with you again. Uh, yes, you're right. Uh, you, we are going to see uh, improvements as, as we bring more capacity in terms of market share in retail, food service, wherever you're going to, we are aiming to build that. So we have clear line of sight of some expansion in the U.S., but we really want to bridge the gap here uh, because the demand is so high. And it's really hard to say exactly when, right, because if you look at the fill rate, we are expanding, we're building more capacity, but if demand continues to accelerate the way it does, you know, it's going to be hard to exactly say when we're going to close that gap completely. 
but you definitely we aim to 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 bridge the co uh, close the gap a little bit at least closer uh, during the course of this year. Okay, thanks. And so and then, can I just add to that quickly? I mean, sure. fill in to Tony, this is Christian here. So we are beginning to see improvement in our field rates as our production capacity is ramping up. But, it, but there is a about three to four week lag on average from increased production to consumption at retail. So I just wanted to add that. Okay, that's helpful. And, and then just one follow-up. I think it was Michael Lavery's question about around COVID. And just can, can you just – I guess the question I had was just in terms of how it impacted, um, you know, capacity um, or production in May, is it related to, um, you know, like infection rate in the plants and absenteeism, or is it related to some delays in, in expanding capacity? Just tr Just trying to understand what exactly happened. And then are you taking any other additional – actions, you know, whether it's vaccinations or testing or, or other, you know, sort of actions to, to try to kind of limit the, the impact that, that it could have on your, your manufacturing? I mean, we are, yes, I think we're extremely disciplined there. Uh, not even I am allowed into the factories, uh, not even in Sweden, just go there. Uh, so we have, we have protocols set up everywhere because we know how difficult it's been. So to, to be honest with you, we, we're extremely happy to be where we are, right? To, to actually to have brought, have brought all the steel up uh, into the factories, starting to ramp up, producing commercial products with people sitting in hotel rooms for weeks. If you look at Singapore, who are really strict, right? Uh, you, you see immediate action for governments and stuff like that. So we understand the importance of these, these protocols and have them there and execute them at 100%. Now, in terms of effect, the impact, maybe Peter, is that, or, or Christian, is that something you want to take? I mean, in May specifically, and then, uh, I mean, I think Peter can chime in, we did have a, a planned maintenance stop in Oscrona, as we had for our plants every now and then, right? Uh, so that occurred in May, so that, that's part of the explanation that you see. Uh, it, it was, uh, the plant was, uh, uh, shut down, and then we also have the the listing and uh, COVID impact that occurred in April that had sort of a lag into May as well. So those are the two fact points for the dip in May. But Peter, you want to add something? No, yeah, that's correct. Uh, that's correct. Okay, thank you. Uh, uh, and Brian, just just going back to your question, I, I, which which uh, Christian pointed out. Now, fill rate has increased continuously since March, right? So, so definitely going to see the, the fill rate improving um, during the course of this year. That's great. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, thanks. Our next question comes from Bill Chappelle with Truist. Please proceed. <clears throat> uh, thanks. Good morning. Good afternoon. Just, hey, Bill. Uh, just make sure I understand the, the numbers. A lot of the questions have been on, uh, market share losses, uh, competitive nature in the U.S. in track channels. That's that seven to eight percent of your total sales. Is that is that am I doing the math correct? Sorry again. What seven? Did you say seven? Like I think you said thirty-five percent of the Americas is track channels, and I think Americas is about twenty-seven yeah. percent of total sales. So I think I'm doing the math right. We're we're talking about seven eight percent of total sales, correct? 
question is that you have that number. Can you repeat the question again? Because I didn't quite follow. You said America accounts. I mean, when we're talking about U.S. track channels, yeah. where you have been losing share, that's about right. seven to eight percent of your total sales. Is that correct? Uh, I, I can come back yeah. to it. I just just was clear. Yeah, yeah, maybe I, we take to, up to different the reason I ask that is is that we actually haven't talked that much about Europe. And could you talk a little bit more about any competitive entrance, competitive activity, and actually how that market is progressing? Because kind of going into the IPO, uh, you know, uh, oat milk had really overtaken almond and soy and, and was kind of uh, expanding even further in the, in the plant-based side. So I'm kind of interested if you're seeing an onslaught of, of competition kind of like you have in the U.S. or if, if uh, that's kind of as steady as she goes. No, okay, got it. No, that, that's, no, that's a really good question. Now, remember one thing, European is the most uh, volume-constrained region that we have because it is supplying, it has supplied Asia for a very long period of time, and Asia has really, really boomed. Uh, so Europe has been the, the region where we have, like, put more, most constraints on. Now, that said, like, still, we are the best-selling SKU with the highest velocity across our key markets. What we see in terms of competition is the normal kind of stuff, sort of, when you are promoting heavily. Uh, we don't see, you know, uh, you, maybe you see almond, because we, are such a, we have been such a significant growth driver in the categories across our key markets. So when we don't supply enough, you're going to see that old category is also dropping slightly in terms of growth rate. Right, that will change when we bring back supply. When we have listing now up and running, like remember, like listing is kind of significant. You know, it's the biggest plan. We double the capacity from 150 to 300 million liters, ramping up, of course, right? So you don't see the 300 million liters coming up right now. But you're going to see everything change when we start to supply again. So there was a question earlier about. Are we, like, concerned about leaving the space for competition? Well, that's the nature of the business. Our brand is so strong, and we see that we are regaining every single time when we are off-shelf and get back again uh, because we are playing a different game than, than, than competitors are, right? So uh, it, it was a really good question around Europe. It's still our biggest region. Uh, but to be honest with you, we are happy where we are there because it could have been so much worse given our supply. I think you have the production up and running now. Got it. Thank you. <clears throat> Thanks. And then a follow-up on the COVID question. Was that uh, across all three regions, or was that primarily in Europe? Where was the, where was the biggest impact of kind of the, what you could have gotten, uh, but impacted by COVID? Peter, is that something you know? That, that, exactly. the, the COVID issue was related to our listing inside only. So we had to close that down and then start it up a couple of days later. So that, that, that's okay. the first one site. But, but, but in general terms, during the last 12 to, to 24 months, uh, the, the, the challenge, the, the biggest challenge with COVID for us has been uh, setting up the new facilities. But now the, most of that work has been done. So, 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 and we are in a ramp-up phase in most of them. So, so the, cha the biggest challenge for us with COVID so far has been keeping the new product, uh, uh, our, our new projects uh, at the right speed. 
And Bill, coming back to your original question, you know, we're a bit slow, but finally, we, I think we understand it. Uh, yeah, so in terms of our total U.S. sales, yeah, less than 20% of that is something that would be measured. So that would be the 35% of the 50% that we have in retail. Okay, so I, thanks so much. Yeah. yeah. Our next question comes from Rob Dickerson with Jeffries. Please proceed. Uh, great, thank you so much. Um, so I, I just have a, a, a hey, question Rob. about. Hey, how are you? Um, just a question about uh, incremental new business win opportunity in the U.S. Um, kind of vis-a-vis what we've seen in Asia, right? You said you know Asia is a much different beast, and things can ramp a lot more quickly. Um, right now, you're trying to just meet demand. Uh, off the incremental capacity in the U.S., but then I'm curious, like, as you go into these retailers and also, you know, food food service providers, um, how, how are those conversations now, you know, with respect to new business win opportunity given that capacity constraint? You say, look, you know, here's the evidence how we've done so well in these other regions and at these retailers and at Starbucks. Um, and if you just bear with us, right, we're going to have incremental capacity and we can partner with you. So I'm just curious kind of how that plays out in those talks now, if we think into next year, you know, also compared to what your competition might be doing. Yeah, I think uh, obviously, I mean, uh, Q2, as, as we knew entering Q2 would be the difficult, most difficult period of time in the history of the company in terms of capacity versus demand, right? So all this, so of course, and and but but if you look at, for instance, delisting, right? You haven't seen any material impact from delisting, and it's a testament of how strong uh, our our contribution to the category and our sales performance is uh, when we're on shelf, and how important our brand is 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 for the growth of of the retail business. All these and we we could have not done that without these strong partnerships. So. I think what our T-Town managers are doing regionally, our regional managers are doing, uh, like, it's really, really make sure that those uh, relationships remain strong. Now, entering the second half of this year, we're going to, it's going to become better and better and better, right? So it's going to be more, those, those conversations, it's going to be easier. Not, not, I would say it's never easy, right? But, 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 you know, more on a positive tone every single time we're going to meet with them. So we feel really confident about where we are bringing these plans up and running. Okay, fair enough. Um, and then just a quick clarification question. Um, I, just regarding your, your comment earlier around potential EBITDA for the year, uh, I'm not sure if I heard you correctly, but it, it seems like it could imply some ramp expenses in the SG&A area uh, in the back half relative to the first half. So one, I guess, is that right? And if so, um, what would be driving that, let's say, outside of uh, freight? That's it. Thank you. Christian? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of uh, uh, SG&A and adjusted EBITDA, I mean, I think that is progressing in, in line what we have communicated as part of the, uh, the roadshows. Uh, and we, this is sort of a transitional year. Uh, we are investing in our organization uh, and, and uh, IT operations and the like to take us to the next level. So there's nothing there that's sort of out of the ordinary. And and, and yeah, to reiterate again, I mean, we expect adjusted EBITDA to be around 108 million for, for the year. Got it. 
Okay, great. Thank you. Our next question comes from Nick Modi with RBC Capital. Please proceed. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I'll keep it quick. Um, you talked a lot hey, about um, – Hey, how are you, Tony? Um, I just wanted to Good. get some context on the capacity and, you know, talking about the, the year-end guidance and how, you know, the capacity or your production and uh, um, fill rates happened better than you expected, you know, that there could be some upside. And I'm just curious on what the swing factors there are just so we can, you know, monitor and, and pay attention a little bit more closely. Uh, it's a good question. Peter, maybe you want to repeat some of the things we said there and bring some more Yeah, the, 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 it's, it's all about if we can uh, – our ability to add production capacity at faster rate. It, it, like uh, ramping uh, Ogden faster, ramping Singapore, uh, and lifting in faster, and then get um, Mashan live faster. So, so – that's the potential upside, and it's hard to value a swing of that because there's also a lag between production and when it, it can be sold. So, so, but we feel very comfortable with our guidance. Yeah, and I'm, I'm asking more about what are some of the actual drivers that would, you know, get you to that point, meaning is this really about hiring, finding the right workers, um, you know, potential COVID risk. I mean, I'm just trying to understand what's kind of embedded in your existing uh, expectation. Yeah, it's about, uh, like, stick to the our ramp-up plan for our facilities, like getting more and more volumes every month. So, so as I said, we produced 5 million liter in July in, in Ogden, and we expect that to to, to increase, and in quarter four, we expect that to, to be uh, closer to 10 million, 9 to 10 million liters. So, so that will give us extra volume. We also expect Vlissingen to get more volumes, and we expect Singapore to get 1 to 2 million liters per month uh, going forward. So, so just by adding these volumes, we, we feel comfortable about, uh, comfortable about our guidance. I guess it's, it's more or less it's more or less sticking, like make sure that we execute and stick with the plan, uh, and and if we can do that faster, great, and maybe that's potential swing. The the, the opposite direction would be a COVID hit somehow, uh, that would hit us. Uh, I don't know, people maybe you know can't travel or or a certain region is locked down completely. People can't go outside their homes. You know, there are more. There are more. There are more strict in Asia than anywhere else in the world in terms of of locking down things, right? So, um, I, mean, I mean, COVID is, is is there. We manage it. Uh, but as Peter said, we feel we feel good about the numbers that we have provided to you guys. So it's it's, it's mainly about execution. Make sure that we follow the protocols and all that. Excellent. I'll pass it on. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from John Anderson with William Blair. Please proceed. Uh, good morning. Good afternoon, everybody. Hey, John. I had a question about uh, kind of priorities as well. Um, when you think about getting to 600 million liters of capacity by the end of the year, presumably that's going to allow you to improve your fill rates, improve the supply-demand imbalances. Is your goal – 
or would your priority be to get existing customers up to, you know, say 98% service levels, or will you continue to add new customers and accept kind of a lower fill rate in aggregate? I'm just trying to understand how you're balancing that focus, again, on driving higher fill rates or very high fill rates with existing customers versus expanding, say, at retail in the U.S., where your ACV is much lower than um, a certain competitor in the in the oatmeal category. Thanks. Yeah, just just bridging that fill rate with existing com- uh, customers will add incremental sales to our business, right? Uh, and, and we do we need to honor uh, the relationships that we have. Now we have a very disciplined manner in how we expand. So we have a couple of clear line of sight in, in terms of expansion, but it's not going to be anything crazy. Uh, I, I think the most difficult part when you speak about fill rate, it, it's your ability to uh, to supply versus demand, right? And if demand continues to accelerate, you know, even if we bring everything we have there and we, 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 we launch it with retail, you know, we wouldn't know if we would hit the fill rates, right, the, or the service levels with customers because demand is increasing. But in terms of priorities, we're not doing anything crazy. We are super disciplined in how, how we are expanding, and we have great relationships, great partnership where we are. That's why also why we feel so confident we have the doors, right? We do have the doors. So it's, it's, it's just start to produce and ship. Um, and and so, so we're going to very much stick to that as much as we can and not do anything crazy. But we, got, we are going to add some very limited number of doors during the course of this year. Okay, that's helpful. And then just shifting gears to think about the product portfolio and the potential evolution of the portfolio beyond milk into GERTs, frozen desserts, which I know you're already doing, but has has your thought on the um, your ability to shape the portfolio or move it in the direction with higher contributions from oat GERTs and other products, has that changed at all? Because I think those are higher margin products in some cases as well. Um, and given kind of the demand and the supply situation right now, how should we think about, again, your ability to kind of evolve the portfolio over time? Thanks. No, I mean, that's a great uh, question. And remember one thing, uh, um, what we said during the IPO is that we don't have the same structure as dairy when it comes to different categories, right? Because milk is the most commoditized uh, category in the world of food, uh, and it's subsidized industry. Yeah, like no one is making money out of cow's milk, right? Uh, so you have to produce your yogurt. You have to produce your cheese to get any margins whatsoever. Now, we're not in that position here, right? We use the same old time uh, type of oat base, uh, and mainly we use co-manufacturers when it comes to, to other categories. Uh, so, yes, if we would have produced them in-house uh, fully, we would have a slightly better margin, but they are equal because we feel both both are, 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 are unhealthy margins. Uh, so if you look at the product, I mean, also if the demand, if this is about conversion, it, it's driven by milk, like we have to monitor that closely. But in the U.S., we have great success. Already now 10% of our portfolio is food, right? You look at the... Uh, when it comes to ogres and ice creams or frozen items in retail, but also if you look at soft serve, you know, 
uh, our sales in soft service can x what we expected it to be uh, in the collaborations with the with the with MBL teams and 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 the 16 handles uh, 16 handle uh, so so <laughs> We feel that if we expand into those categories, we're going to be immensely successful as well, right? So we have to prioritize there, and I think we have to be prepared, and we have to monitor the development as, as time goes. That's how we look at it. But we will never lose innovation power in, in a, and our ability to expand across the different categories. That, like, we have, like devoted to this 30 years. We're not going to throw that away, right? Like we said during the IPO, we, we expect to distinct ourselves even further versus competition with the expertise we're bringing in and expanding across the world, right? So it's a very long answer, but, but it is a very interesting question uh, that we are also following closely that I Thank can't you. give you like a direct answer on, you know, but, but you, you, that, that's the thought process that we have. John. Yeah, that's helpful, Tony. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. At this time, I would like to turn the call back to management for closing comments. I just want to thank everybody. Uh, this was our first earnings call, and, and we, we have been waiting for these guys to, to, to be able to meet and speak with you again, and we appreciate your questions and, into, and, and interest in the company. And all of us look forward to meeting uh, more of you when we attend investor events this year. So thank you so much for your questions, your participation, and, and have a great and fantastic day, everybody. Thank you. This does conclude today's teleconference. You may disconnect your lines at this time, and thank you for your participation.